You are now listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast. It's not every summer that the L.A. Kings leave us confused, excited, fearful, and yet somehow hopeful. I don't know how they did it, but here we are. We're going to try to break down one of the wildest weeks in a long time for the L.A. Kings. How are you tonight, Vardy? Hey, man. I am uh, I'm exhausted. <laughs> it feels like it's been a whirlwind. My... Uh... I've been refreshing Twitter nonstop, uh, just trying to keep up with everything that's been happening. Uh, I'm kind of glad in some ways that this is just a one-year event, that everything is compressed into this this one week. Uh, I think it's exciting, but at the same time, it, it doesn't give you a lot of time to digest and think about what's going on from one step to the next. I, I still don't know if I've digested, Yeah, to tell you the truth. It's it's just like a big old uh, yeah, I guess. prime rib sitting sitting in your gut waiting, right? Right. And like I, I ate it and I went to bed. That's how mm-hmm. I feel, like right yep. away. And then you woke up in the morning and you're like, yeah, I still don't need breakfast. Still <laughs> still working on that prime rib from yesterday. That's right. I guess let's just get into it. F it. Let's just do it. All right. Um, if you've been listening, and I know you have, <laughs> we have bandied about a lot about who the Kings were going to get via trade through free agency. We threw out a lot of names. I would, you know, I remember clearly throwing out a lot of names as we always do wish lists, things like that. But at no point, Vardy, did we ever utter the names Philip Deneau and Alex Edler. Correct. But here we are. Uttering those names. Uttering those names. And and welcoming them, I guess, to the... I guess. I, I that's guess. what we're trying to figure out. Yeah. I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to not welcome them. No. But... <laughs> no. It, it happened. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the big one happened in the form of Philip Deneau. Six years. $5.5 million. The night before, I, I think it was George LaRocque, well-known NHL insider, yes. who said that Deneau had made a deal with the Las Vegas or the Vegas Golden Knights, and the numbers that came out were six times six and a half. And I remember thinking, God, that's a stupid contract. I remember mm-hmm. thinking that to myself, like, that's long and that's a lot of money. Yeah. So, <laughs> today... When the Kings go ahead and sign him to six years, $5.5 million, mm-hmm. my initial reaction was negative. Going to throw that right out there. Why exactly? Ne- I'm just going to just... Okay, w- let's, let's, let's break it down. Was it the money? Was it the term? Was I think it it's, I think it's the both. player? I think it's okay. both. I think he's a good player, right? We know. We watched it. We watched the cup final closely. The entire Montreal run was very magical and ended, which was great. But at no point, and I remember thinking, like, someone's going to pay this guy way more than he's worth. Mm-hmm. I remember I, I even told you, I believe, like, someone's going to pay this guy a lot of money because of this performance. Yeah. And they did, and it was us. And <laughs> and, and the, my... The reason I felt negative initially is because 
my thought is that, and I've always been this way. This is me. This is a personal thing. Right. That when you throw those numbers out for a forward, it should be a scoring forward at least who maybe can play both ends of the ice. And you're mm-hmm. like, that's that feels good. Mm-hmm. You know, a 60-point guy, 70 maybe, who who's responsible in his own end. Don't need him to be sixth in Selkie voting, you know. Uh, so perhaps I was wired that way going into free agency and the trades and stuff that that's what we're going to target in terms of a forward. Very rarely do you think of, well, the Kings, and I've always said the Kings need defensive help this mm-hmm. season. I never, it never really crossed my mind that you could do that <laughs> by getting a shutdown forward for two reasons. Number one, my thought is like shore up the defense Take care right. of your own end with your 6D. And we have a guy who does that, plays 20, 22 minutes a night, and does that and is a top five player in doing that in the league. Right. So I think – I don't know if that's fair, but that's kind of where my mind was, that if we're going to spend money, if the Kings are going to spend money, if they're going to move some of these younger assets for a forward – it's going to be someone who comes in and helps the 27th ranked offense in the NHL right away. And right now my feeling, it's a big question mark, right? Like everyone says, well, Philip Deneau played a role in Montreal that didn't allow him to use his creativity or didn't give him the opportunity. He wasn't on the power play, right? He, he wasn't put into positions where he could have better numbers. I've read all this stuff. He himself has said, I am looking to change my role. I'm looking to become a more offensive-minded player while still keeping my uh, defensive skills at the forefront. And that's why this is so confusing and confounding for me because I know the Kings just got better. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say what a shit deal and fire Blake and like what are we doing and all this stuff. But I am going to say. Like what? Then what are what are we doing in a much smaller, calmer voice? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like Not yelling, what are we doing? No, like but more like a curious, what are we doing? Look, I'm happy. It looks like this it, on paper. This is a playoff team now. We'll get into Edler and all the other stuff too. It looks like a playoff team, but I still wonder, like, where are the goals going to come from? Yeah. Yes, our defensive, our in zone play just improved dramatically for. I don't know, 20 minutes a game. Yeah. And, you know, you put, you put, add that to Kopitar and add that to your defense getting better. Yes, we got better, but I still have concerns about scoring. And that's why my initial reaction was not over the moon happy. As I've seen from other people right. who follow the team, who cover the team, are absolutely thrilled, over the moon, excited. And great, I, th- I might get there, but I don't know if I'm there right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I think I felt the same way. And maybe again, you're right. Maybe it's, it's our own bias going into this, that um, we've made no secret of the fact that we wanted someone along the lines of, of a Jack Eichel. Obviously that was the pie in the sky. That was like the, you know, the ultimate prize. And, you know, that's not an easy one to get. We get, we understand that. Um, but even if that wasn't the case, I think there was a lot of consideration of offensive options out there. Um, I never truly believed that someone like Landis Cog would ever end up here. No. Um, I, 
I, I, I'm right there with you is what I'm saying is I went into this and I went into this off season and I went into all this discussion. I went through all the overview of what the team did last year. And the thought in my mind was not, we need to make the defense better. We need to allow less goals because frankly, I felt like, and the numbers, the numbers kind of support me on this. The Kings were actually pretty average to slightly above average in terms of defense goals allowed and stuff like that. And through some addition by subtraction and some health benefits in the form of Matt Roy and, and Walker not being out for a third plus of the season, I felt that any, any regression that may have happened last season would only improve next year. I didn't necessarily think that you needed to bring in more defensive, defensive help. You know, we've always been searching for this, the the second pairing left, left side D, but again, that wasn't because we needed help from a defense standpoint. We needed help from a transition game offense generation standpoint. That's, that's kind of always been the thought in my head. And similarly, just like you, a lot of these guys, not just Kopi, you know, like the team itself, I feel like has been built around this idea of being a two-way team. You know, a lot of these guys are, even if they're not necessarily from, from those cup run teams anymore, they have come into this team under the guidance of guys who won cups by playing a strong two-way game. And so I feel like a two-way game has always been part of the emphasis. I, I never really felt that, that the defensive aspect of the forwards is where the improvement needed to come from. In fact, I kept feeling like the offense generation and the ability to finish was where we were lacking. And that's what needed to be targeted is, is the ability to finish. And even though I wasn't necessarily excited about some of the names that were being thrown out there, like, you know, Brandon Saad, who we've, we've talked about this before that we just, you know, I, I think, he's a marginal upgrade. I, I know that the production is there, but I think in terms of what he would bring to this team in terms of offense generation, he would have been a marginal upgrade to what we already had in our own pipeline and in terms of our own players. Um, so it, it's kind of a weird signing to me. It, it, and it's weird to me because now, now the logic that's being presented is, oh, well, the plan here is that we're going to loosen him up a little bit and he's going to, he's going to play more offensive than he's been defensive. And in doing so, he's going to allow Kopitar to be more offensive than he's been defensive because he's had to handle that load. Well, I, I don't, I don't really buy that. I really don't because he, I, Kobe's played this game now for 10, 15 years. Like this is his game. You're not going to send him out there and be like, all right, don't worry about it. Cause Dano is going to take those hard minutes. So you get to go out there and be all out offensive again. He's not. He is the player that he is. He's he's still a 70, 80 point guy. I don't think bringing in Philip Deneau suddenly is going to make him be like, oh man, I can, I can do more now because I don't have to worry about the next shift that I have to be on the PK or something like that. You know, I, I don't think it's suddenly going to lead to an extra 10, 15 points from Kopitar, nor do I think that Philip Deneau has the capability to suddenly be a 60, 70 point guy. He topped out at 53 points and granted he he's got strong offensive metrics in every capacity, except for scoring. If you look at some of that analysis, and even if you look at some of the Montreal uh, fans who have watched him play, there's a, there's a strong feeling that a lot of that was being driven by 
playing with guys like Brendan Gallagher, who are right. offensive drivers, you know, and, and for in complete credit to the, to the job that he did in the playoffs, look at his playoff numbers. Yeah. His, he, had two goals? He, he had one goal. Hmm. He's his, his career playoff numbers are nine points in 38 games. I, I, again, he's not a bad player. He does he improve the team? Absolutely. But I don't think he solves the problem, nor does he address the problem that has been haunting this team season after season after season. And so that's where I'm kind of like confused as to what the overall goal, what the overall direction is. And, you know, John Rosen had, had posted a couple, couple days ago, or maybe even yesterday that it just constantly feels like the goalposts are being moved. You know, at the, at the end of this season, there was this discussion of, we're going to go hard. We're going to make the playoffs. We're going to address our weaknesses. And then it became very clear that they were not going to be able to do that. And now it feels like this is who we've settled on. I don't, I don't feel like this is as big a prize necessarily as some people are, are talking about it. Like it is, you know, I want to touch on what you mentioned about relieving Kopitar of some of his more difficult minutes, matchups, et cetera. I think Mm -hmm. the one aspect where I think it will ring true is defensive zone starts. And Mm -hmm. I think that I agree with, I think if you're Kopitar or Bergeron or Taves, whoever these, these really good two-way centers and, and you're, you know, have like 30 defensive zone starts a game that really, that's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I, I do agree with that. I think that's, that really wears you down over 60 minutes. Um, and I think in that respect, that will be very helpful. He's a key face-off guy. Dano is. Um, I think he's been 50 over 50% every season of his career. So he's one of the top guys there. So I think, yeah, I think he will relieve Kopitar of, of some work, but I do also agree with, with what you're saying in that Kopitar is still going to get 20, 22 minutes a night, and he's still going to be defensively responsible and he's he's just going to play his game I, I agree with that completely so the like I said the only as, aspect I see where it really takes a kind of the burden off Kopitar is on the defensive zone starts mm-hmm. which is great I mean that is helpful yeah but he's also aging right like how much of that is trying to free him up so that he can still play 22 minutes a night and be more offensive versus like taking into account that he's north of 30 now and you're trying not to put as much wear and tear on him. I think my the burden I would want lifted off of him more would be the offensive burden. I think we always talk, I yeah. think we always talked about this is like Brown, I have followed Kopitar. How long has that been the only line that's seemingly going for com- like long stretches of time? It, it right. seems like it's been years now. And I think my thought was like, okay. They're going to get theirs. And if you can plug in uh, someone on the second line, winger center, whatever, to score some goals, that I think relieves a lot of the pressure on those guys to, to constantly be 20, 30 goal scorers. Right. So that's kind of what I was thinking, but I, I guess I get it. Not to mention the fact now that we have got like 18 forwards and, and this pushes again, Gabe Velarde down the lineup now into a 3C role where I don't know how that necessarily translates to his offensive progression and, and 
you know, developing more scoring from him. Cause that, that has to be a goal as well. Right. Like now you've got Philip to know there for the next six years. Okay. Where does that leave Gabe? Are, are you going to try to make him a, a winger now? Is that, I mean, what's, what is the plan? That's what I'm struggling with here. What is, what is the plan with this team? What is the, what is the MO? What is, you know what I mean? Like, the identity. I, yeah. I, I, that's what I'm struggling with. I don't know what this team is trying to be now. It just seems like a mishmash of guys who are, who are okay in some elements and average in others. And, you know, like I think of Colorado and I think of speed, quick decisions, puck handling, right. I think of Vegas and I think of big, fast, you know, offensive possession. I don't know what the Kings are. I don't know what the Kings are and I don't know what they're trying to be except just hoarding all the prospects in the world and, and waiting for some of them to become something. I think they're, you got to make a trade at some point now. I think it's just, well, you inevitable. have to, I mean, you have a log jam. I think now, obviously all the assets that were speculated about trying to get it like a Jack Eichel, that's obviously off the table now. Yeah. So I think you got to target like a Zach Wierenski his name keeps popping up if he's available. I think you got to package some some players now and try to get like a, a big time defenseman. I think it's the only kind of logical next move that I see. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what the package would be. Yeah. But there's a crap ton of forwards on this team. Yeah. And there's almost no room. I mean, I, I know I know there's a prevailing theory that like the kids can beat out some of these guys and train. I just, I don't think so. I don't, I don't either. Who, who are you like, who is hypothetically if Alex Turcott has like this brilliant camp and you're like, we got like, this kid is ready. Who, I don't see anyone that you're going to bump down. No, not with, I mean, you're not giving him an opportunity to let's be frank here. You have already basically told all of your prospects even a guy like Quinton Byfield now, who with with these new uh, AHL rules that they're kind of developing for the for the players who ended up playing over twenty or twenty five games last season, yeah, twenty, I believe. Yeah, that now they're going to let them play in the AHL that they don't have to go right. back in the CHL. Well, that that relieves the Kings of a ton of you know problems that they were going to have in terms of where Byfield was going to play. It's it's pretty clear now he's going to end up in the AHL. So, I mean, you've got you have zero openings on this lineup. You can tell your kids all you want that, Oh, you know, if you come and you have a strong camp, you have this, that, and the other, come on. I think we all know that they're going to get nine games and they're going back to the AHL if they can. That's, it's pretty clear, isn't it? It is. I don't have a problem with it though. I don't, I don't have either. too big of a problem. I, with, I think, I think Byfield, you have to take advantage of the fact that he can play pro. And I think that's, that's fine. No, I, and, and that's okay. I don't have a problem with it either. What I'm trying to say is that the whole idea of play the kids, play the kids. Yeah. That's it's, it's not a reality. Like they have basically shut the door on that for this upcoming season, barring injury and et cetera. Like they are making it pretty clear with these roster moves. And again, I'm not, I'm not opposed to them. I'm not opposed to a guy like Victor Arvidsson being traded for. I'm not opposed to Philip Deneau. I'm not even opposed to an Alex Edler on a one-year deal. I certainly am not opposed to to bringing back Athanasiu, who we've talked about and we like as a player. Um, 
but I think you make it very clear that the idea that you're going to play the kids is not, is not a thing coming out of training camp. You can talk about like them having strong camps, et cetera, but they're getting a nine game look and they're going down to the AHL. That's pretty much the plan. Yeah, that's probably true. I don't know if the Kings themselves or the organization ever planned on doing play the kids. I think play the kids was a, a more of a fan beat writer. Sure. Call to action. Sure. So yeah, but I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious that the Ontario rain are going to be jacked to the gills. I mean, yeah. that's going to be a team. I might be more excited to watch them than the Kings, quite honestly. That is a devastating lineup because Kaliev's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Turcotte's going to be there. Byfield. And I could name the entire roster and every name's like, oh, yeah, that's that's a pretty decent name. Yeah. I might have to make it to some goals games. <laughs> provided, you, prov- Dude, I you should. I mean, provided, provided people are provided, allowed inside. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But, like, you know, I imagine by, like, October, November, We'll we'll be past whatever wave we're on at that point, and sure, just I'll, like last year. Yeah, I'll have a week or two <laughs> where I can go sneak in a game and then come back. But I and again, I it's tough, man. It's tough because I appreciate that they're making some moves. I appreciate that it wasn't just talk and then you know shrug at the end. Oh, we tried, nothing happened. And I really thought it was going to be like a. Right, totally right, right before because oh, totally um yeah just because it didn't seem like there was anything left you know there was i think um panyota put out a tweet about the kings are you know it's the brandon sod sweepstakes and i was right. just like ah oh. right like man nothing against brandon sod but it's I, the same thing it's he the scored same. two more goals than i have followed two more goals than kopitar one more goal than Kempe. like that's not he drives offense. I get it, but I don't know. It just wasn't exciting. Especially, it just seemed like more of the same, a redundant kind of player, like you mentioned, is a slight upgrade. But anyway, um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, but this is it now. I mean, this, this, is, this is of course it's it. I mean, yeah. well, I was really hoping Tyler Bertuzzi might sneak in there somehow because he he's on the table from Detroit, seemingly. Yeah. And he's a player that's like different. He's a unique skill set. I know he's coming off a serious injury, but he would give you a dimension there where you're like, okay, this is not right. another smallish, speedy, creative-ish winger like almost all the other ones. Like right, like he's a little, he's a little more gritty. He's a little more, uh, you know, tenacious. Um, Different. physical 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 player, yeah. yeah like i get that I, I i totally understand that and um but i mean this is the team man they've got they've got 14 forwards now yeah that's that's not including any any of the prospects who can play in the ahl i mean they've got 14 forwards stacked and ready to go actually they've got 15 because they i, I keep forgetting that uh vladimir uh, kachev is is also yes basically nhl or bust he and, is absolutely an HL or bust because if he doesn't make the team out of camp, he's, I think there is an agreement in place where he would go back to the KHL. Correct. Correct. So if you include him in there as well, then you've got your Kopitar Brown, uh, Arvidsson, I guess, who's slotted to be the top line forward. 
And then you ostensibly have I have followed to know and Kempi, I guess, as a second line. It doesn't line. matter who, I mean, you're just. No, I'm throwing, just, I'm just yeah, kind of, yeah. I'm saying like these are the, you know, the roles right. that they have played. Right. And then um, Velarde, presumably, as your 3C. And you'd have Athanasiu, maybe more there. Anderson. Or Leas, or Leas Anderson. Um, I mean, dude, they've got like. They have six, two fourth lines just waiting. Yes. Like, like you're going to have to, and this has already been mentioned on Twitter, but you're probably going to have to send Anderson Dolan down right. so he could play with the rain. And that's part of that really nice roster they got going right. there. And that, that one, man, he, of all that's, the players where I you're know. like, this guy could use, you know, let's take advantage. Let's put him. He seemed like he was all the way in all season long. He never looked out of place that more Grun- Grunstrom Anderson Dolan line was buzzing anytime they were together. That one, ah, you know, yeah. for for what for Lazat to be your fourth line center? Just... Yeah, it's just it's just weird stuff, man. And and I I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. It's July. A lot can happen between now and October. Um, but I think it's clear that these guys have some value. They're not just guys that you would just wave and you know let them go for nothing at this point. Um, and you have a glut, you have a glut at the forward position. So, you know, I, do I completely understand why we brought in a guy like Brendan Lemieux and wasted assets to bring him in last season? No. And here you are now with another forward that you don't need who adds really nothing to this team. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to There's see. There's got to be a trade. There has to be. There's there has to be. be. At some point, it doesn't have to be for much. It might just be for some picks. I mean, the, the Kings really don't have that many picks for for next season. They've actually just got one in each round, and the third round pick isn't even theirs. It's it's uh, Pittsburgh's. So, you know, it's gonna be interesting. But yeah. Yeah. I think at least I think at least two of these guys are gone. I don't know which two, but I think at least two of them are gone before the season starts. Makes sense to me. Um, Alex Edler. One okay year, with it. Yeah, that's fine. One year deal, yeah. three and a half. Certainly, the the skill set it will help. We talk about how how much difficulty the Kings had exiting their own zone on soft four check breakouts. I'm talking right. about like a soft guy coming in, and they just couldn't make a tape to tape pass. He will help in that department. He has a hell of a shot. He'll be helpful on the power play. Right. Uh, he. Has has a little bit of sandpaper to his game. He's not a you know, quote to quote Don Cherry, some kind of soft Euro or some nonsense <laughs> like that. He's he plays the game heads up. He's he's not afraid to get his nose dirty. So I yeah. still I still think you need to get another defenseman, and I think the Kings that you know according to the mayor and whoever else is reporting it, they're, just, they're still interested in a left shot defenseman that could be there today and tomorrow, kind of in the future. Yeah, and I guess they refuse to. They refuse to have that person be. Well, Clegg is a right shot, isn't he? Or is he? No, he's left. Yeah, they refuse to have Clay, Kale Clegg be that guy. Yeah, so he's probably man. I really thought before the Edler deal, I really thought like you have to. He has to make the team. Yeah, because I don't think there are seven better defensemen in the organization than Kale Clegg. Yeah, there might be now, depending on who. Although he's still probably he's still probably the extra there because 
he has to make the team. Otherwise, he has to clear waivers to go down to Ontario. And if he has to do that, I yeah, suspect... I think they'd sooner send Bjornfoot down than him. Right, because the waiver eligibility. Right. So he probably makes the team, but I don't know. I just hope he's not in the press box every night. Yeah, I agree. Like, I I, I don't see a situation where Olimata should get 82 games over Kale Clay getting in some action there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, Mata's, Mata's a third-pairing defenseman now. You know, your your pair, your top pair is going to be Dowdy Anderson. Your second pairing is probably going to be Edler and Roy, I imagine, leaving your third pair as Walker, Walker. and Mata. And uh I think Clay would be your seventh in that situation for the for the waiver eligibility issues that you mentioned. Yeah, well, now that Curtis McDermott is gone, you're gonna have Happy to... Trails <laughs> Big Mac who we could have apparently traded for a fourth round pick and did not stunning, <laughs> a stunning move by Seattle. I, I can't believe I can't bring myself to believe that they took him with the idea of we're going to flip him for a fourth. Well, no, especially not with all this talk that like his dad was friends right. with Ron Francis and right. in the organization. And this, I mean, it was, it was a weird selection to begin with. I think a lot of us, I, I certainly thought they were going to take Kale Clegg. I did too. If not him, I thought maybe Grundstrom or Lozat would have been much better options for them. I'm still a little confused as to what, what the Seattle approach to building this team is because it's been, uh, you know, some, some UFA, some pick these guys up, pick some random guys in the expansion draft, try to flip them for this. I mean, it hasn't been totally clear to me what what they're trying to do like they sent Grubauer to a six-year deal today right to go along with well they just they also just traded Vanacek back to Washington right for a second right I believe yes exactly after taking him in the expansion draft which is strange because Washington could have just sent them a second at the draft correct <laughs> to not to take whoever the hell or seattle could have just taken brendan Dillon, who washington then traded for two seconds right it's some very strange stuff very confusing things i suspect this will not be a repeat of what vegas did in their inaugural season hmm. but i'm going to still leave the door open for the possibility that they'll be not terrible but right now, it's not a good-looking squad. Yeah, I think I think very much like the Kings, the uh, the weakness of the division as a whole gives them the opportunity to kind of pull it together. Although I have less confidence in Dave Hackstall as a coach than I did Gerard Gallant. Right. So Big it remains to Gerard. be said. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Vladimir Kachev. Yeah. I want to just briefly talk about him a little bit more because he's such an unknown not going to pretend i'm a scout i just watched some youtube videos of him yeah okay uh which is what scouting i think is the last year (laughs) right unless you're unless you're living in like right tesca and watching all their games and stuff i don't know very dynamic player very very gifted offensively great hands a terrific playmaker 
useless in every uh, <laughs> not a good defensive player not a heart and soul you're never going to confuse him with like kyle clifford or some shit he's not going to go in the corner you know and, and fish the puck out when there's two guys on the other team there first or anything he's not that guy so i don't <laughs> i just don't see how in the in the mind of a todd mcclellan this kid has even has a shot yeah like which is disappointing because the Kings need someone. Sure, it would be nice if he did a little bit of those things, but the Kings do need someone like that who is supremely talented and gifted and can make something out of nothing to add to their roster of guys who do everything else. Right. Complementary pieces. That's that's what we're full on loaded with is complementary pieces. Yeah, which kind of begs the question, like, why sign him? Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know because there's no confusion as to what type of player you're getting, much like there was no confusion as to what type of player you're getting with Athanasiu. Um, so I don't know. I really don't know. I, I and they made a you know they made some hubbub about it, like they you know they show the video of his signing, he's putting the jersey on, like they they went through some lengths to get this guy and sign him to a one way versus KHL deal. So it just doesn't strike me as the type of guy who's going to get a fair shot on this roster to, to do what he does. Right. I just envision every time a couple of years ago, every time Kovalchuk was stapled on the bench, like the camera was just, <laughs> the right. cameraman was sure to get a nice close up of him at the end of the bench alone. Right. Like getting his seven, eight minutes a night. Right. And that's, what, and that's what I'm saying. Like, where does this guy slot in? Is he going to be a third line forward? Is he going he to be can. on the power he play? Got, he, he's yeah. got to get minutes with offensive guys. Right. He He's a dangler and all these things, yes, but he can't. This is the NHL. Seemingly, he has to be somewhere in the top six, top nine minimum, which is loaded with guys. So I'm not, not going to hold my breath. What I – be pleasantly surprised if opening night he's on like Deno's wing or something. Yes. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I would be stunned. Yeah. That would Happily be interesting. stunned. Yeah. Anyway. It's lots of, lots of weird things. Lots of moving pieces still uh, a glut of players and just not totally clear as to who's still going to be on this team. <laughs> in September, October, and even, even then who's going to make this roster. It's very confusing. And, you know, there was some talk of what the actual goal is for this season. And I got the sense that from the end of season uh, press conferences and stuff that, um, that they wanted to make the playoffs. Yeah. I felt like that was very clear to me that that was a goal. Cause now you're going on, is this Blake's fourth year or fifth year? As GM, I'm not sure exactly, but fourth, fourth, yeah, okay. And McClellan's third full year as a head coach. I feel like at that point, if you don't make the playoffs or you don't come within like I don't know two points of the playoffs and just you you, you don't make it by like a I hair. think you have to make it, dude. I, again, I think so too. I think but, it's a play after this. You you six times five point five is playoffs or bust. But again, this is this is that same discussion of moving of the goalposts, right? Because I feel like everyone had was on the same page about that going 
out of last season. And now all of a sudden I'm hearing all this discussion of like, well, as long as there's improvement, as long as there's progression to that, as long as there's, you know, they get close. I'm like, well, when did we start like peeling back the expectations here? Like you start doing that. And that's when you start, you know, you're, you're not holding anyone accountable anymore. You're just kind of like, okay, just any, any type of improvement and we're happy participation medal kind of thing. And and that's not, I mean, it's pro sports, man. You can't do that for three, four seasons. But, but I don't, I don't I don't want to say I disagree with you, but I think they, I don't think they've peeled back on making the playoffs. I think, I don't think that's been moved around too much. And I think I would go as far as to say they made the moves necessary to make the playoffs, not making the playoffs now, I think is a failure. I, again, I'm not, I haven't heard anything directly from the team. I just feel like because there hasn't been any discussion directly from the team about any of this, the overall pundit and Kings fan discussion, I have felt a change in the tone. I I felt like everyone coming out of last season was looking at this offseason and saying tons of cap space, tons of prospects to move. The goal should be playoffs. The goal should be make a splash, make the playoffs. And even today with all of these additions and everything, I still am am seeing bits of discussion of people tempering their own expectations and saying, yeah, if we get close, I'm happy. If we get, you know, as long as I see improvement, I'm happy. And I'm like, I'm not happy with that. I don't know why you would be happy with that. I don't know why you would settle on that still four or five years after the last time that we made the playoffs and were absolutely curb stomped by a brand new Vegas team. Why are we all of a sudden just okay with being a little bit better than we were last year? I see what you mean. I think fans will be fans. I think we're decisively better. I I think now that doesn't mean I'm, over the moon, excited and pumped. I think once the game start, just naturally I will be. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to think. But with Arvidsson and Dano, I really think they did what they probably planned to do. This is the best way I could put it. I think they feel pretty damn good. The organization feels pretty mm-hmm. good about what they've accomplished. I think they – and by the way, I think Deno was their top target, dude. Like, I, like I, I th- the way – because you, you mentioned earlier, like, you feel like it was a settling situation. Yeah. But from everything I heard from Blake today and just the overall pitch that was given to this guy, and Den- I, I listened to Deno's interview and, like, how impressed he was and how prepared the Kings were and how they broke down – in tears like where they're going they talk specifically about prospects when they'll be in who he can mentor i feel like day one they were like we're targeting this guy i really do that'd be interesting now whether whether i agree with it or not that's not my point my point is i really think this was not a settling situation i really think they earmarked him they went after him they threw more money at him they gave him the time. They gave him, they told him what he wants to hear, everything he wants to hear, to the point where he was like, it was a no brainer. He's mm-hmm. like, it was an easy decision for me to be like the way they were prepared. So 
that's why I feel like they feel really good. Rob Blake, Luke Robitaille, whoever was in that room, feel really good about what they've done. You know what, dude? I'll I'll give them that then. If that was the goal that they set, if this was the guy that they targeted, if if whatever they saw through these playoffs made them feel like he was an answer to what they perceived as the problems to this team, of, for this team, which are different than what I perceived as the problems that this team has. Okay. I hope it works out. I really do. I'm never going to be upset that the Kings are better. As you and I both know, we happily eat crow per 60 per 60, (laughs) keeping it on the high. And I'm more than happy to eat that plate of crow. If this works out the way that they plan on it working out, perhaps the last several years have made me, more skeptical i don't know but i i don't know if i fully agree with their vision of how this is going to work out i guess is my is my fear sure i mean there's a lot of what ifs still can these things happen can victor arvidson score 20 goals 25 goals can philip deno open up his game and everyone's like oh this is the 50 60 70 point player that you know seemingly is buried deep inside him (laughs) from everything i've read and heard today that's right and you know can alex edler still i think he can still play the game but can he still be a high level defenseman that could help this team break the puck out that could help this team on the power play yeah we don't i know this sounds really gloomy guys (laughs) So far, no, no, no. And, and I'm not. I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm no, really not, not just, just you. I think. I think we don't. Sh- bottom line, we don't share in this overexcitement, the way everyone else does. And I hope we're wrong, and we likely will be, because that's our history. Right. But we'll but wait that's and okay. see. I can. I can admit when I'm wrong. That's that. I have no problem. We do it all the time. That. Yeah. Come on. That's what I live for. Talk a little bit about Seattle. What do you think of those uniforms in person? I think they look great. I love their color scheme. I, I I like everything about their look personally. I've I like their logo from day one. I I actually like the whole setup of the expansion draft. I liked how they brought in a bunch of Seattle legends. A little disappointed not to see Ken Griffey Jr. in there. I thought that was that would that would have been a layup. Yeah. Uh Ichiro, I can understand. He's kind of a quiet guy. He doesn't like to get it and get a lot of press so that would be pretty impressive but i thought they would have brought the kid out man i really i really thought they would have found a way but i i think the city's excited for him dude i think it's gonna be real nice to have him around and gonna be interesting to see what that arena looks like once it's all done wish someone gave sean camp a proper t-shirt oh man my god he could they (laughs) there's no xls left (laughs) seriously guys um, yeah, I agree you, with you on the on the jerseys and stuff. I, I think it's quickly becoming one of my favorite logos specifically. What a great yeah, logo. Yeah. Never get tired of looking at it. They just did such a great job of kind of hiding the Kraken in there, the I, the S, right. everything looks good. And I hope they're terrible. <laughs> I don't think they're going to be terrible. I really don't. I think they have enough guys. Um, they signed Jaden Schwartz today. Again, another deal that I'm so happy we dodged that. Yeah. One. Yeah. Like here, there you go. That's a good example. Like if my options were Jaden Schwartz for what is it? Five years at five and a half million versus Philip Deneau at six years and five and a half million. 
I'm much happier with the Deno signing. You could throw in Saad in there for me too. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't want Brandon Saad for six years and five million if that's what he ends up signing. Now, if it's a two or three year deal, I'm okay with that. I am okay with that. I just don't like the idea of committing to all these guys for five, six years at a time, which is what they all want. Right. I don't blame them for wanting that, but I, I don't like the idea of committing to that, especially when we're finally going to be free of Brown's contract at, after the end of this season and Carter's contract, you know, like you don't want to be committing yourself to too many of these long-term deals to these overage guys when you know that you're going to have to re-sign some of your own players in the, in the coming years. That being said, other UFA talk wise, I would have happily signed Dougie Hamilton to that contract. That New Jersey <laughs> I know gave. you were, I know you were on the Dougie Man, what a deal. bandwagon. That is such a great deal for them, dude. What, was the, what a, were the final numbers on that? It was seven nine? years, seven years, nine million. And the contract is structured in a way where it's mostly signing bonuses. And he's got a full no move for the first four or five, and then a limited no trade at the last two, which is perfect. And as we have seen over this last year, that's all you really need to, to get rid of a guy. I mean, Arizona basically has a has a roster of corpses right now that they've accumulated for second round picks. I think they've got like five second round picks next year. I mean, that's a great deal. That's a great deal. I wish that was the deal we had Dowdy on. <laughs> well, fortunate. Sure. No, I mean, he, granted, he's got more qualifications. He had one cups and, and Norris's and medals. I get that. But I'm just saying that, how about this? He signed for lesser, for a lesser deal than what Seth Jones signed yes. in Chicago, which is there's another team that I don't fully understand what they're doing. I don't doing. think they know what the dude hell is going it's on. Just wild. <laughs> because it's it's one thing to end to to signal the end of a rebuild, kind of like the Kings are quasi doing right now. Right. But they're that pipeline of the Kings, like you can't is almost unmatched. I don't Chicago doesn't have that pi- pipeline. They have good prospects. They got Kirby they, Doc. But they don't, yeah, they have a couple of guys, but they don't. Dude, like your rebuild is not over because you never, you never did it the way the Kings did it, where they just kind of cut everyone loose. I don't know. I don't know what the hell they're doing. Flurry, I don't know. Like we'll get into that. I think we should talk about something happier. The sure. NHL draft, entry draft. Yes. Yes, that one. The usual NHL draft, not yes. the expansion draft. At number eight, Kings select select Brant Clark. Um, before we get into how much we love Brian Clark now, there was a moment there <laughs> where uh, the Kings were two picks away from picking between uh, Eklund and Gunther, and I was really excited, <laughs> very aroused in the hockey sense of the word. That you were high I, sticking. I yes, yes, I was. <laughs> um, I really thought. If Eklund dropped, I think – I don't want to say I think the Kings would have taken him, but that would have made it really interesting. They pass on Gunther to take Brand Clark, who I had never heard him speak. I had never kind of seen his body language. I had seen videos of his game. What a what a great attitude this kid has. Mm-hmm. He talks a million miles per hour like you. You are now listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast. 
Yeah. Uh, offensive defenseman, pretty good size. His skating has kind of been knocked, but dude, he gets around the ice just fine. Mm-hmm. I think it's just nitpicking his stride or his form or some such shit like that. He moves around just fine from everything I've seen. Right. Um, joins he's been the rush. Pro hockey. He's, he's been, been playing, playing pro at Slo- in Slovakia. Yeah. Joins the rush at will. No fear whatsoever. Kind of a fearless defenseman. Any opportunity he gets, he greenlights himself. Screw the coach. He's going. Uh, I absolutely love it. Um, it. Initially, yes, I was like, oh, a forward, because that's just how I'm how I'm wired. But very happy the Kings can add this young man to um, – they needed him in that pipeline. That's for damn yeah. sure. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty happy with the pick. I know I was all, all on board the, uh, the Jesper Ballstead bandwagon, and I think if – if things had shaken out a little differently in terms of the picks ahead of the eighth pick, I would have, I would have preferred Wallstead, but I am pretty happy with that pick. Honestly, I think it addresses not that this is necessarily the King strategy. They very much have been on board with the idea of taking the best player available, but I think it addresses a, a glaring need for the organization to have some top end offensive potential from the blue line. Um, honestly, probably the highest potential defensive prospect we have had since Drew Doughty. I don't think that's a stretch to say that. I think with all due respect to, to, to Bjornfoot, um, and Clegg and, um, uh, and Helga Granz, like none of them had the top end potential to be a number one D-man quite like Brant Clark has had. And, um, I don't know how much uh, weight people like to put on some of the the prospecting models and stuff. I'm a big fan of Byron Bader's hockey prospecting model where he kind of takes NHL equivalency stats from different leagues and stuff. And per his projection, for what it's worth, um, Brant Clark had the highest potential of any prospect in this draft to become a star defenseman, which I think roughly projects out to scoring 0.6 point points per game on the NHL level. Not only um, that, he had him number one. Yeah. He, he was his number all one. players. Yes. And I had seen plenty of drafts where he was a top three pick consensus in that sense. And again, that's kind of the, that's kind of the crazy fun part about this particular draft. And I liked the idea that he went and he played professional hockey in Slovakia, played with men and played well and put up points. I think you can't discount that. Um, I think it's a very, like you mentioned, it's a very bold thing for a young player to do and he's nothing if not a bold young guy. So I think that's a, that's a awesome thing for him to do still probably two to three years away at best, but very exciting player to have in the pipeline along with everyone else we have. Would be nice if he just came into camp and was like the best defenseman on the ice. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but fun to see. Definitely. Hope we get to see some prospect tournaments again yeah. with him in there. Yeah. You mentioned not having a high true blue chip defenseman since Dowdy. You brought to my attention that the Kings haven't had a decent draft pick since friggin' 2012. Yeah. Outside of Adrian Kempe since 2014, Kempe is the only Kings draft pick to play over 200 games. Yeah. So for all the great 
the greatness that we drafted from 2000 to around 2010, 12, whatever, the Kings have really been striking out on draft picks. Now, part of that is you give up first rounders, you give up high end choices for mercenaries, things like that. Right. I get that, but man, that is pretty brutal. Uh, certainly we've been doing well the last few years. Um, and you can't really count the last few year draft picks, but that's, it was pretty startling that since yeah. 2012, the Kings have been one of the worst drafting teams in the NHL. Yeah. And I think, I think we forget that. I think we forget that because we've been fascinated with what a pipeline we have built over the last three, four five years. But if you're looking at that's those players that you've taken over the last four or five years, that's projecting out to how they're going to play for the next three or four years. If you're wondering why the team has been so terrible for the last several years, it's because any new player and new young player that has been coming in that has been successful on this level has been basically a college UFA or something like that. Anyone the Kings have been drafting has not made it to be a true NHL player to play 200 games. And granted that's two and a half seasons. That's not easy to do but you want to rank it against the rest of the teams in the league. They're 31st, well, 30th, I should say, ahead of only Vegas, who did not even exist in, you know, 2014. So it's, they're absolutely, in terms of percentage of players who they have drafted since, I think it's from 2012, actually. From 2012, the first cup year, Till now, in terms of players to make it to the NHL and play 200 games, dead last amongst all of the teams in the league who are around since 2012. Glad that's over. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. hopefully. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, you're, you know, and that's, again, that doesn't include guys like I follow Peterson, great free agent signings. Right. Lazat, yeah, undrafted. But the draft still remains your primary source of bringing in players of bringing in talent and higher end talent. They've been doing pretty damn poorly since Adrian Kempe. And so for everyone who knocks and we knock him plenty in terms of his streaky scoring and this, that, and the other, he's a damn successful draft pick, dude. If you look at that, if you look at that year there, it's him. And then Braden point late in the third round and Christian Dvorak in terms of picks from, from the number 29 pick, which was Kempe, and then on, those are like the three most successful players. Is that the, the Nolan Patrick rounds. draft? believe so. 2014, I think. I could take a quick look here. I think it is 2014. He was, yeah. uh, Kempe is a 2014 pick. Yeah. Let me see. Uh, no, that's the Aaron Ekblad. It's Ekblad, Sam Reinhardt, Leon Dreisaitl. So that was a good draft. Yeah. And he was the 29th pick of the first round. Right. And then after him, good luck finding a successful NHL player. I guess if you want to consider Brendan Lemieux, 31st overall, but nowhere near as successful as Kempe, in my opinion. Sure. So anyway, just a little a little tidbit there. All right. Now we can talk a little bit of what's going on around the league with all this madness. Do you want to talk about any of the other draft picks? That we took. We can't. I mean, I would love to talk about Francisco Pinelli. You go for it and say that name several times. I love it. By all I mean, means, from everything, somewhat of a steal at 42, a high end 
offensive player, seemingly. And I don't know too much about him. I think you've probably done a little more research on this specific guy. Um, but anytime there is a consensus that the Kings stole a player in the second round, I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's another one of these guys that a lot of player, a lot of people had pinned as a late first round pick, kind of slipped into the second. Um, has a bit of a perimeter game, it sounds like. Maybe not as fully committed to to just, you know, getting a little dirty, but I think that's something that can be brought on. Decent size, good offensive instincts overall is kind of the the draft read on him. So I think that's a solid second round pick, all things considered. And then uh, getting into the third round, the Kings took this 6-6 giant from <laughs> Finland, Sammy Hellenius, who may have been just the tiniest bit of a reach, especially if you're going to trade up to get a guy like that. But I understand the desire, so to speak, to take a guy like yeah, that. The allure of the size yeah. and the can't yeah. teach size, yada, yada. Dad's an NHLer, comes with a pedigree. Um, certainly doesn't project out to be a first line player or anything like that, but uh, defensively sound and, you know, solid all around game and gets around pretty quickly, apparently for a guy that size. So that's a, that's a, again, I, I like what they're trying to do with the pipeline. Um, am I going to be a little upset a few years from now? If, if Sasha Pasujov ends up being, you know, lightning in a bottle that he's yeah. projected to be. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, but it's okay. I'll, I'll deal with it. And, um, and finally, you gotta uh, trust Christian Rutu on that one because you know he had his fingerprints all right. over it. So. That's right, absolutely. Um, and then finally, in the uh, late third round, again picking up the Kings, bringing their own Kirill because Kirills do well in the NHL. Apparently, uh, they they draft Kirill Kirsanov, who I think is a really really solid pick because here's another guy who I think a lot of people had penned early second round maybe and falls to the mid to, to late third and by all indications plays a very, very mature game has played 20 some odd KHL games last season. Um, looked good in international uh, international tournaments and just apparently built very well. Six one, 200 some odd pounds maybe ahead of the curve, even from some people who are drafted ahead of him by like a year or so. So I think that's a that's another solid defensive player to add to the pipeline. It, overall, it seemed like rave reviews from the Kings draft. Overall, it seemed like a success. Had a good day. Yeah. Added, added to already stunning pipeline. Yeah, and I like I like them being aggressive, man. I'm a big fan of them. If there's a player that they want and they know that they've got enough guys in the prospect pool, like. Yeah, get rid of those extra nonsense picks. Get the guy you really want. Get the guy who you think is going to be a better player for you long term. Quality over quantity was thrown around quite a bit, and I'm okay with that. Around the yeah. league. Around the league. Um, what would you say was your uh, like the best free agent signing that you saw? Ooh, got to think about that. To me, it's Dougie. I think I've I think I've expressed that. I think that's a that's a huge sure. pickup for New Jersey. That's a good one. 
Can I say Braden Point resigning to Tampa? Sure. Um, I mean, he's not really, he's an RFA, but sure. I know, I know he's RFA. Uh, I'm not going to add much to that. Just I'm trying to think of if anything really jumped out at me as like a really good signing. I, I, I really like Kemper in Colorado. There you go. I really like that. I think he's an, I think he's at his worst equal to Grubauer, mm-hmm. if not better. I think Kemper is a good goalie. I think on that team that has the puck the entire game and allows like 14 to 20 shots, I think Darcy Kemper has the opportunity to really maximize this opportunity for sure. So I, I that jumped out to me right away. I was like, that's a borderline upgrade mm-hmm. after they lose Grubauer. I really, it's a trade though. It's not a signing. I should clarify that, but it happened okay. on – it happened on free agent frenzy day or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the one that comes to mind immediately for me. Yeah. You mentioned that, I guess, in terms of trades, I like, I like Vegas picking Evgeny Dadanov from Ottawa. I mean, dude was a 60, 70 point guy automatic in Florida. And much like very many players who go to Ottawa, just did not find that same success. I, I fear him <laughs> in Vegas. I think that is, He's he's a second line forward, real easy, and so uh, yeah, I think. Uh, and then Vegas actually resigned Martinez to was it a three year five point five per year either five point five or five flat. I don't know. But that it, is a. I'm I'm more than happy to see Marty get get his contract, but that is a rich deal. Yeah. I'm I'm very happy we didn't we didn't try to bring him back for that. Yeah, number. age. He's been banged up a little bit here and there. Right. Little, little risky. And he's a gamer. Like he's not gonna, he's not gonna, you know, sit out or anything like that. Um, Let me see what else. I like the kind of in terms of like under the radar signings. I like Detroit signing Pius Suter. Oh yeah. That was a nice pickup. It was Chicago for whatever reason in their, whatever approach to team building that they're taking right now, decided that this guy who would put up decent second line numbers was a was a rookie from the Swiss League, an overage rookie from the Swiss League, played well with Kane, and is only 25 years old. They weren't even going to give him a qualifying offer. Yeah. So I, I like that. I think that's a solid, low risk, potentially high reward signing for Detroit. Um, let's see anything else of true substance. It's interesting. There's still quite a few UFAs out there. Brandon Sod, we've talked about, yeah. is still still hanging out there, weighing his options. Uh, Tony D back in the NHL, <laughs> Carolina. That's what happens when you lose your best defenseman. You get kind of desperate. Yeah, Carolina took some hits, man. Yeah, they did. I'll tell you. I mean, I I, I don't mind Freddie Anderson. I think. I think I he's know, a better I, goaltender than what they had before. That's what I'm saying. I don't think that Delkovich or Morazic really. You can look at him and be like, oh they lost those guys and they got this guy. I think Freddie at, at the very least, you're like, this is our guy. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we're going to play him. I think in that system under Brindamore, I think he more importantly, away from Toronto's shit defense. I think he, he does well. Right. And they have anti Ronta as well. So I think they picked up two guys who could very easily right. platoon and, and right. carry it. Uh Oh man. That, Jonathan that, Bernier getting four million. How about that? Good for good him. Good for him. There you go. Get paid, buddy. New Jersey Devils. Zach Not, Hyman getting a whopping which was, deal from Edmonton. Yeah, which was I think the 
we knew it's almost like we knew <laughs> even before the expansion draft that Hyman was going to sign with the Oilers. Right. 5.57 years. I don't know. Oilers going to oil <laughs> at the end of the day. That's just what they do. I like Felino to Boston. Really? Yeah. I think he just, it just works. I think he fits there. Doesn't have to be a top guy. I think it's, it's fine. That brings up a good point that the Taylor Hall signing. Yeah. He, they got him back. That's a, that's a great deal. Very obvious that that was going to happen. See, that's another one of those deals that makes you, and granted, I, I know we're not in the same situation. It's very unique. It probably only happens at that team, but when you get Taylor Hall for 6 million for four years, I, it makes me really upset about, you know, Jaden Swartz for 5.5 for five years. And, and, you know, or, you know, some of Tampa's bottom six forwards getting paid. Dude, these like Blake Coleman and Barkley, Barkley Goodrow, Goodrow. That might be Blake the worst. Coleman. That's My that has God. to be the worst contract in the league, right? Barkley Goodrow for six years and was it four million, four and a half or something silly like that? It's gotta be. Hold it's, on. I'll, I thought I'll it was it more. Well, I thought it was I thought it was six years, uh six years, three point six. Yeah. That's what he signed for? I think so. Okay. Well, let me tell you here. Uh, But he's got a modified no trade. Yeah. It's six years, 21.85 million. Comes out to roughly 3.6 per year. Blake Coleman got six years, 5 million a year. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's amazing. It's amazing what that shiny cup glow can do for your pocketbook, huh? Crazy. Montreal's in deep shit. (laughs) Yeah, now that they've lost 10-0, it's like... Not just that. Weber's not playing. I know. Price is going to be out for long stretches of time, seemingly, from his injury. Well, they made it sound like he's going to be back pretty quickly because they thought the hip was okay, and it's just a knee issue. Miraculously healed. Oh, so the... Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The miracle happened? Okay, I I missed the miracle. It was was hip and knee, and they were going to amputate a leg and take an eye and God knows what else when it was prior to the expansion draft. And then... Turns out it was like a stub toe or something the day afterwards. <laughs> they get David Savard on a pretty decent deal. Right. And they signed Hoffman today. Mike Hoffman. Three times 4.5. Yeah, I don't... Yeah. I, overall, I I don't... Nothing really jumped out at me signing-wise. I mentioned Kemper on the trade. Mm-hmm. Ryan Suter to Dallas. Four years, three and a half. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. I, guess. I think I think that's not a terrible deal. Bruins also got Eric Halla. Is he even healthy enough? I feel like he's been out no long idea. stretches of the time. It's Can't... it's interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at New Jersey's uh New Jersey's roster. You know, PK Subban not being the player he was once before, but certainly now you got Dougie, you got him. It's it's a little thin, a little thin. I'm not going to lie. They, they still have a lot of room to fill in some players here. Yeah. So, all right. All right. So we got to talk about this Flurry Vegas thing. Just a little bit. Just because right. it's so entertaining. And sure. just how it is now clear to everyone that Vegas is like a piece of shit organization. I don't know how else to put it. Like 
Apparently not clear to Alec Martinez. I don't know. But <laughs> he's the third. What was the what was the stat? He's like one of the winningest goalies in the history of the NHL. First ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think yeah, he's, 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 he's just 400 third. plus. Yeah, isn't he like behind Juan Prodor, basically? Well, Luongo's up there. Oh, that's true. That's true. But he's up there. He's yeah. he's up there, let's just say. And I don't no, know. And he's third. That's it. He's behind Brodeur and Wah. And That's it. So he surpassed Luongo. Yes. At this point. Okay. Yes. Well, then. The third winningest goalie in the history of the league who just won the Vesna. I understand mm-hmm. you want to trade him. Have one of your studios just drop him a text while you're making the trade call. The McCrimmon comes out and says, well, I couldn't tell him because the trade call hadn't happened, which is the biggest pile of shit I ever heard. Right. That does not exist. Have your assistant GM right when you hang up with Shago be like, call Flurry right now and tell him he's being traded. And also to just give him up for nothing. I don't fully understand that. (laughs) I get that he's 36. I get that there's a $7 million cap hit. I get that you're trying to get Chicago to, to relieve you of the, of the cap hit because you're Vegas and you're always shooting for the moon, but I, I have I get the sense that if there could be a more disrespectful way of trading trading a player, I'm not sure I know how it is. You gave him up for nothing. You made him feel like he was unwanted for two years before you gave him up for nothing. And then as he was leaving and going out the door, you made him feel like he really was not wanted by not telling him that he was traded. Like I, and by the way, they, they've done this before. Yeah. Nate Schmidt found out from someone else. Dude, their coach found out because, yeah. come on, <laughs> they, did, they did the same to Gerard. I mean, this is, this is their MO. Like, it's a classic Vegas maneuver. You wake up in the morning and the person you slept next to is not even there. <laughs> there was someone else where William Carlson had to go tell him on the ice at practice. It was a forward. I forget who it was, but the story goes that maybe Halla or something. <laughs> the story goes that oh, uh, Lindbergh, mm-hmm. Oscar Lindbergh, uh, Carlson, William Carlson had to go on the ice. No one told him get off the ice. He's out on the ice shooting the puck after pra- he's been traded. Yeah. No one is making any effort to tell him until William Carlson like has to go and be like you're traded. Like what? what? I don't understand this team, man. I don't understand this team. And it's refreshing, I guess, to see guys like Sinbin. Um, even last season, he was, you know, he was calling out the team for just really having a poor demeanor and poor just work environment, if that's a if that's a way to describe a an organization. Like I don't know what type of message you're sending to your fan base. I don't know what type of message you're sending to the guys who are trying to come and play for your team. You know, you've created a team of mercenaries and you don't value any of the guys who have helped you create the identity of your team up until that point. Like to do that to, to one of the guys who is universally known as a good guy in the game and coming off of a year like he's had coming off of, the whole goalie controversy that you guys created between him and Robin Lehner, and then to just 
it's just so disrespectful. It's so disrespectful. And all I know is that it's, it's all Peter DeBoer's fault. <laughs> That's right. No matter what. They might need to rethink that Vegas born hashtag. Cause there aren't many players. Left yeah, exactly. Vegas born. <laughs> exactly. Vegas passed through. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Vegas borrowed. Oh man. Did we cover everything? I mean, I think so. I mean, we could talk to, about but... like a couple other things, Jones to Chicago, Ekman Larson, Carland, and all this stuff. I don't know how much you want to, yeah, how much I time mean, you want to spend. I on think that 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 Ekman Larson, I, I can't believe Arizona got out from under that contract, and I'm not really sure what Vancouver thinks they're getting. The well, they're the, getting Connor Garland. Fine, but if the cost to get Connor Garland is is Oliver Ekman Larson, I'm a little, I'm a little hesitant, man. That's a that is a forever deal. The <laughs> I mean, well, Sadine's fingerprints are on that one. Jeez, they are front of, part of. Excuse me, they are part of the front office now, by the way. Henrik and Daniel. So, and if their first move was we need to bring Oliver Ekman Larson in, they deserve to be fired. Well, they're not the GM, even though their know, GM but, is, know, isn't but, anything to write home about either. Dude, they have. Just think about this for one second. They've got. 13 plus million dollars locked up for the next three years between Oliver Ekman Larson and Tyler Myers. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know who the third defenseman is? No. It's well, Quinn Hughes has to be resigned still. He's okay. at RFA, but Travis Hamanick at 3 mm, million for the next right. two years. This is a terrible defense. It is a terrible, terrible defense. Do you think Quinn Hughes is going to take less than? Six, seven million after after Kale McCarr just signed for nine. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Oh well. Yeah. Another Pacific team doing stupid shit. That's I'm okay. fine with it. I'm all right with it. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Calgary did some weird shit too. I was oh, what the hell they're doing. Yeah, and that's and you may be right about that. Like just by virtue of the fact that the rest of the division's not that great, we might have a shot. But I think I think Vegas and Edmonton still I think have they're enough. locked in to one yeah. and two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So really that third spot is is what the Kings should be gunning for. And I think I think Seattle Seattle might challenge for that. I think Calgary might challenge for that, and the Kings might challenge for that. So we'll see. We'll see how this shakes out. All right. I think we're right. ready. I just want to give one more parting shot to the Montreal sure. Canadiens for their stupid-ass draft pick. Yeah. Of, what was it, Mayu? I forget. Logan. Logan Mayu. There you yeah. go. Uh, you're all stupid. <laughs> Mark Bergevin, I knew you were a fraud GM, and you proved it to me. Thank you. It's just a, such a bad move, man. Like, the guy is trying – the I don't kid asked which, not to be drafted. Right. And I'm not making any excuses for him at all. He straight up committed a crime. No. He, he shouldn't be playing. Yeah. And now and now Molson, the owner, comes out with this like, well, he's not going to be in our rookie camp and he's not going to be in our training camp. Well, try it's like trying to put ketchup back in a bottle. Good luck with that shit. Right. Right. It is just a totally unnecessary thing to do. Completely unnecessary and completely adding bad press to your organization after what was a magical season for you. And on top of it all, dragging this kid back into the spotlight that he's trying to get out of, if he truly is trying to like 
make things right and and show remorse and do the things that the victim here is asking of him right that's that's what he's asking that's that's he's already been charged for a crime he paid his fine in sweden he did these things the victim is basically saying i don't think that he's remorseful for anything that he's done because what is the long-term negative effect to him in any way He'll still go on and be an NHL Obviously player. nothing because he was a first exactly. round draft and that's, pick. And that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. So if he was truly in any way trying to make good on having remorse and fulfilling what the victim's wishes were here to be remorseful and to be punished for his crime in some way beyond what he already had been, they, in a lot of ways, took away that opportunity from him as well because he tried to not be drafted he tried to make amends he tried to back away from the spotlight and maybe you know make things right in some way and now they have made it that much harder for him that much harder for the victim and that much harder for the team for no particular reason whatsoever okay so, good just want to sneak that in there okay. yeah no worthwhile definitely worthwhile yeah all right. 74. 74. Hit me, baby. You know him. The one and only. The smiley-faced assassin Dwight King. That's the man. But he's not the only. Damn it. <gasps> is this recent? Very. Is this some prospect number? Nope. What do you mean, no? <laughs> Someone's actual me... number? <laughs> yes. Yes. Very recent. It's going to escape me. I already know it. I'm going to take the L on this one. 1920. 43 games. Wow. Yeah. I want to be mad. Probably. I think if I told you the nationality, you would get it. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. Is it Prokorkin? It is indeed. Okay, there it is. Nikolai Prokorkin. That's right. So Dwight King, longest reigning 74 in King's history, followed by Nikolai Prokorkin. He of 14 points in 43 games and back to the KHL. So this is clearly Dwight's. Clearly. Clearly Dwight's. Another man who the Kings and Kings fans loved and probably overvalued. Um, went to Montreal for 17 wonderful games in nine, in 2016, 2017, and has not played since. Yep. Went to Basically. the KHL, I believe. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe you're right. I think you did. But very nice man. Two Always rings, happy. baby. Two rings. Couple of hat tricks, I remember. Yeah. Hell of a career. Scored some big goals in 2012. 365 NHL games. Uh, 53 goals, 55 assists. Best season was 13-14, 30 points in 77 games. There you go. There you go. So this is for you, Dwight, wherever you may be. Love you, Dwight. Uh, hope you're happy. Hope things are well. Uh, drop us a line if you ever want to, you know, just come on here. We'd be happy to have you. Yeah. So no one I would rather have, actually. I, I mean, to see his smiley face on a Zoom call would make my ear. Sweet. Well, thank you everyone for the uh, for the increased Twitter engagement this last week. It's been 
a flurry of activity, no pun intended, to the earlier discussion of that other guy. Um, but we appreciate it all. We love the discussion, even though you might not agree with us all the time. And we appreciate all the followers and all the subscribers that keep coming. Um, happy to keep engaging and yeah, and all those things. So please subscribe, follow, give us reviews. Um, we're available pretty much everywhere, right? At this point where podcasts can be, can be heard. Yeah, we'll be back. You've been listening to The Bannerman, an LA Kings podcast.